You'll notice we have a new face up here with us this morning, and uh, I appreciate uh, Brother Rick stepping in for Larry, who is away today, and uh, giving us a hand on this. Last Sunday, uh, as I was leaving Sunday school, Daryl Edwards approached me and said, uh, you know, your quartet ought to find a song that was written in 1860 and sing that. He says, because uh, most of the music done back in 1860 was probably a cappella music. And uh, it would be neat, since we're approaching 150 years here in our church, uh, be neat to sing a song that was written in 1860. Uh, I got on the computer, started looking around and Googled up uh, songs from 1860 and found one. Uh, a lot of them were written in that era, but the one I found was actually written in 1860. And let me give you a little background to it. Anna and Susan Warner were highly educated and deeply devoted Christian young women who lived all of their lives along the Hudson River in New York in a lovely but secluded area apart from the busy world. Their home was near the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, and for a number of years, these two sisters conducted Sunday school classes for the young cadets. Their home, Good Crag, was willed to the academy and made into a national shrine. Both sisters were buried with military honors in recognition of their spiritual contributions to the lives of the young military officers. Without doubt, the hymn that has influenced children for Christ more than any other is this simply stated one that we're going to sing for you today. Written in 1860 by Anna Bartlett Warner, Miss Warner wrote this text in collaboration with her sister Susan as a part of one of the best-selling novels of that day, a novel written by Susan entitled Say and Seal. Today, if you remember the plot of that novel, which stirred the hearts of many readers, but the simple poem spoken by one of the characters, Mr. Linden, as he comforts Johnny Fax, a dying child, still remains the favorite hymn of children around the world to this day. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me still today, walking with me on my way. He's prepared a home for me, and someday his face I'll see. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
fasting. Prayer and fasting. That's not something we talk about very often, is it? Now, I know we talk about the prayer part. We love to talk about prayer. We love to discuss prayer and prayer meetings and prayer times. And I hope that we also love to practice prayer. But let me ask you something. Do we ever talk about, do we ever think about fasting and prayer? I wonder real quickly, just as as a survey here real quick. How many of you ever remember hearing a sermon on the topic of fasting? I mean, the whole message was about fasting or fasting and prayer. Raise your hand. Let me see you. Okay, one, two, three, four. If I didn't miss anybody. (laughs) Now, listen, if we don't talk about it and we don't think about it and we don't discuss it, I think it's pretty safe to say we don't practice it. Now, here's the question. Why are we not practicing fasting and prayer? I think Donald Whitney was right when he said fasting is the most feared and misunderstood of all the spiritual disciplines. You know, spiritual disciplines, prayer and um, fasting and evangelism, all those things. He said he went on to say there, we're afraid that it will make us suffer dreadfully. And give us a generally negative experience. For some Christians, he writes, fasting for spiritual purposes is as unthinkable as shaving their head or walking barefoot across a fire. Now, think about that. As I I pondered that, I thought, you know what? Some Christians might prefer to shave their head or walk barefoot across a, a fire rather than go without a meal. Let's be honest. Let's not be super pious or fake this morning. We love our food. We love to eat. We love to be comfortable. We want to have it our way. We want to supersize it. We want to make it a combo. Yes, we'll take the two apple pies for a dollar. Why not, right? We love our food. Some of you are thinking, man, it's almost noon. He's just started preaching. What in the world are we going to do? Our lunch is going to have to wait a few more minutes. So don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. A fast is not focused on the food. A fast is focused on God. I'm just trying to establish why we don't like to think about it and talk about it, consider it and actually do it. Our physical appetites. Listen, our physical appetites are very strong. Have you ever considered that man's first sin involved food? You ever thought about that? Listen to Genesis chapter three and verse six. It's a familiar verse. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And it was pleasant to the eyes of the tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. God had said, don't eat it. They ate it. Now, listen, food is a gift from God. Food is a good gift from God. We've got to have it to live. None of us can go without it. But listen, as much as we need food, we need God more. Let me say that again. As much as we need food, we need God more. And that's what fasting is all about. Now, I want to cover very quickly this morning some basic questions regarding fasting. And we're only going to scratch the surface here. Whole books have been written on the topic of fasting. And so in our few minutes together, we're just going to cover some of the highlights. Okay, first of all, what is it? 
What is it to fast? Let's define what fasting really means. Fasting simply means, literally means, not to eat. That's literally what it is. Fasting is not to eat. Now, please understand, in everything we're going to discuss today, in regards to fasting, we're meaning fasting in regards to a Christian fast, a spiritual fast. You see, people in our world fast, they quit eating for various reasons. John MacArthur said the yogis of most Eastern religions and cults have always been committed to fasting. You've probably seen them in pictures or on television as their bodies are are just uh, uh, obviously they haven't eaten in a long time. He said they often pass for long periods of time in which mystical visions and insights are claimed to be received. And that's the Eastern religions and so forth. Listen. If you don't eat that long, you see visions and things, too. Think about it. But anyway, he said in modern Western society, fasting has become popular for purely physical and cosmetic reasons. And some diet programs recommend fasting. And so some people, they fast, they quit eating because they want to lose weight or they want to get a certain place. We know some people will even fast, right, because they have an eating disorder. And they seek to starve their body because in their minds they may look in the mirror and they see someone who is overweight or obese when in reality they are underweight. That's not what we're talking about in our study of fasting today. We're talking about a spiritual fast that's carried out by a Christian for spiritual reasons. Now, we primarily understand fasting in regards to food. But did you know it's possible to fast other things as well? Uh, We would refer to this, as as one publication did, did, as a hindrance fast. You say, well, preacher, what's a hindrance fast? Well, it's based on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Remember those verses in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, in other words, they set aside those weights, those hindrances in their lives. Think about what takes up a great deal of time in your life. Now, don't consider work, because we know you've got to work. Now, don't consider sleep, because you have to sleep, of course, Right? But think about other things, and you can fast sleep too, but think about other things for a moment. What takes up a great amount of your free time? Let me give you a little list to get your mind thinking, all right? How about television? How about video games? How about watching sports? How about playing sports? How about reading the newspaper or newspapers? How about Facebook? Shopping? Golf? Cooking? Email? Movies, leisure reading, working out, yard work, hobbies, talking on the phone, texting on the phone, playing on the phone, uh, listening to music, your MP3 player, your iPod, all those things on and on and on. For some, it may be different hobbies or different things you do. What is it that you spend a great amount of time on? Not necessarily bad things. Many of those things can be good things and ought to be good things, but there are things that take up a great amount of your week. You can set aside one or two of those things in a hindrance fast. Say, you know what? I'm going to take the time that I'm giving usually to that, and I'm going to spend that time seeking God. So we have fasting of food, which is the primary meaning. We have fasting of other things. But knowing all this, let me give you a working definition now of fasting. 
And I think old John R. Rice had one of the best ones I read. Okay, here's what he said. The spirit of fasting, the spirit of fasting simply means that one. One for the time being is willing to abstain from otherwise normal and proper duties or pleasures that he may give himself wholly to the business of prayer. That's a lot to take in. Let me give it to you again. The spirit of fasting simply means that one, for the time being, is willing to abstain, to do away with, to set aside normal, otherwise normal, proper duties or pleasures that he may spend that time in prayer. And if you want the simplified definition, he says it means this. Fasting means putting God first. Fasting means putting God first. Fasting means literally not to eat. The spirit of fasting, setting, setting aside otherwise normal and proper pleasures and duties in order to pray. Fasting means putting God first. We know that now. So here's the next question. Why should we do it? I mean, other people can do it. But why should I do it, preacher? I'm not interested in this. Listen, let's look at the scriptures together, okay? First of all, we should fast because of our example. Go to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be there in several verses there. Matthew chapter 4. Our example, our supreme example is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, look at Matthew chapter 4, and I want you to look there beginning at verse number 1. It says in Matthew 4, verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Verse 2 says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was an afterward of hunger. Now here's Jesus, God in the flesh, perfect God, perfect man. Deity, humanity joined together. He knew what it was to get hungry and thirsty and tired and sleepy. But he was led of the Spirit to the wilderness and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. So if you think that fasting is only for weirdos and wackos, consider this. Jesus Christ fasted. And he publicly, uh, or there, uh, scripturally, we find him fasting there in the desert. Now, we're to fast because it's expected uh, as well. Notice that uh, in Matthew chapter 6, it's, it's because of our example, because it's expected. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. If you have a red letter Bible, you notice here, this, these are the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Moreover, look at verse 16, chapter 6 of Matthew. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, they may appear unto men to fast. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And notice it says there, when you fast. When you fast. Now back up to verse 2. I want to show you something in that same passage. Matthew 6, 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, when you do your alms, when you give those gifts, look at verse number three. When thou doest alms, look at verse five. And when thou prayest, look at verse six. When thou prayest, are you getting the idea here? In Matthew chapter six, here's the idea. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Does God want you to give? Yes. Believer, he does. Does God want you to pray? Yes. Now, here's the tough one. Does God want you to fast? When you fast. Listen, look at something else interesting in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, find verses 14 and 15. 
Here's an interesting thing. The Pharisees are coming to Jesus to question him. Look at Matthew 9, 14. Then came to him the disciples of John saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? So look who this is. This is the disciples of John coming saying, listen, we fast and even the Pharisees fast. Why don't your disciples fast? Now, look at what Jesus said to him. Verse 15. Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Who's the bridegroom? The Lord Jesus, right? But the days will come, watch this, when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and then shall they do what? They shall fast. They shall fast. There are so many reasons, beloved, why we should fast. We don't have time to delve into them all. Let me give you a summary from Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for Christian Living. It's a great book. I'd encourage you to get them. Here's some of the reasons we should fast as believers. Are you ready? To strengthen prayer. To seek God's guidance. To express grief. To seek deliverance or protection. To express repentance and a returning to God. To humble ourselves before God. To express concern for the work of God. To minister to the needs of others, to overcome temptation and to dedicate ourselves to God, to express love and worship for God. And on and on are the reasons why we should fast. The examples in Scripture of men and women who fasted, go back and read the Word of God. There are so many reasons why we should fast, but be sure to get this. You must have a reason for your fast. You must have a reason. In other words, you're not just fasting to fast. You have a purpose behind that fasting. Last Sunday, I asked you to pray and seek God's face as to what he'd have you to do when it comes to fasting. Fasting, listen, is voluntary. It's voluntary. The believer voluntarily fasts as God directs him. It should be directed by the Holy Spirit in that believer's life. We want every believer at Red Hill Baptist Church to follow the Lord's leading as to whether he wants you to fast. Listen, don't fast this week because the preacher wants you to. Don't fast because somebody else wants you to. We want you to fast if God leads you to fast. Now, some may be led to fast a day, give up their meals for a day. Others may do two days or three days of fasting. Some may be led, I don't know, to fast the week. That's between you and the Lord. Others may be led to fast their food and meals, maybe one meal, maybe two meals, maybe all their meals. Others might be led to do a hindrance fast. Maybe some can't physically fast because of a physical ailment or something. And God would say, listen, I want you to give up reading the newspaper this week. I want you to give up whatever it is that's between you and God. But notice what it says in Matthew 6. You've got to get this down. Matthew chapter 6. When you're fasting, notice what it says. Beginning at verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. What do they do, preacher? They disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Listen, they're the ones that say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm hungry, but I'm doing well. What's going on? I'm fasting. Yeah. I'm very spiritual and I'm fasting. Man, I'm, ooh. Let's read on that verse. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 17, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face. 
that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which seeth, which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, is that meaning that you've got to hide the fact that you're fasting from your family and those who live in your house? No, that's ridiculous. Your family's obviously going to know you're fasting, but the idea is this. You're not fasting to be a show-off or to appear to be super spiritual or to get a reward and approval from man. You're fasting to seek the face of God. It's between you and God. Now, what is it God's calling you to do, believer? Is God calling you to fast for revival? That's what our purpose. We're asking you to pray for revival, both personal revival, revival in your own life, your own family, and in this church. Revival! That's the purpose behind our fasting and praying. Is God calling you to fast? That's between you and the Lord. Now, here's the rest of the message. I want to give you some important things to remember when you fast. If God calls you to fast, here's some important things to remember. Number one, you're not fasting to impress God or gain his acceptance. You're not fasting to impress God or gain his acceptance. This is not about manipulating God. Fasting is about putting God first. Your acceptance to God is to the Lord Jesus Christ alone, beloved. We're in Christ. So we're not fasting to make God say, well, I'm really impressed with him or her. We're fasting to set aside normal, otherwise normal, regular, wonderful things in order to seek God's face. Secondly, the length of time you fast between you and the Lord. The length of time God leads you to fast a meal one day or it leads you to fast three days or whatever is between you and God. But here's another important point. It's important to remember to use the time gained to actually pray, read the word and seek God's face. In other words, if you're going to fast a meal and you normally spend time cooking that meal, uh, prepping that meal, eating that meal, washing the dishes from that meal. Take all that time and use it to seek the Lord. Okay, if you're going to fast reading the Charlotte Observer. That, that could take some time to read all that, couldn't it? Let's say God lays it upon your heart. That means you don't say, well, I don't have to read this. What should I do? Watch TV or whatever? No, you take the time you would have spent doing that and you spend that time reading the word, praying, seeking God's face, crying out to God. You understand? That's what fasting is about. Taking time that you normally would use otherwise and dedicating it to the Lord. Listen, your goal in fasting should be to glorify God. That's your goal in fasting. Well, therefore, you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. When you don't eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Tom Ellis was right when he said, conducted properly. Here's what a fast does. Conducted properly, a fast brings increased sensitivity to God, added time for fellowship with him, and a heightened eagerness to cooperate with him. It's all about God. Here's some practical things. If you're going to fast for several days... It's important to slowly decrease the amount of food you're taking in before fasting. Listen, probably not a good idea to go out to a buffet somewhere and say, man, I'm going to be fasting three days. I've got to fill up. No, no. Slowly wean down. And then if you fast for an extended period of time, slowly increase carefully what you eat. If you fast this week and you come in and you say, I'm going to break the fast at homecoming. You're going to be sick as you can be if you go over there and gorge yourself. Let's use common sense, too. You're slowly decreasing the intake of food. If you're going to fast for a extended period of time, you're slowly increasing that time. 
some people only drink water. Some people use juices. Some people drink whatever. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. What do you have you do? You know, if you take medications, you're diabetic, those sorts of things. You need to contact your doctor possibly before you conduct a fast. And you need to consider the ramifications and what you may need to do along those lines. If you cannot fast food, because I know some could say, you know what, I just physically or I'm not allowed to do that or whatever. You need to maybe consider if the Lord would lay upon your heart a hindrance fast and, and do something else. Here's something that's important. Beware of spiritual pride. Beware of spiritual pride. You might as well not fast. Then go out and fast and say. I'm really holy. I'm, I'm really somebody because I fasted. Beware of spiritual pride. And finally, whether the Lord leads you to fast or not, I'm calling on everyone here today to pray. Pray for the week of revival. I want to give you some prayer pointers to take with you today. I want you to write a couple of things down. I want you to take that invitation in your bulletin that has the preacher's names on it. I want you to pray for those fellows by name. I want you to pray for Bob Smith and George Honeycutt and Randy Swearingen and Jeff Glenn and Tommy Ross. I want you to call out their name before God and ask God to speak through them to your heart. So use that as a prayer list. But I want to give you an acrostic and we're done today. And here's some prayer pointers for revival. So if you're writing on a sheet of paper, write R-E-V-I-V-A-L right there on the edge of that paper. I'm going to give you a word for each one of these. When you come Saturday to pray, I'll give you some more things to help you down there. But this is for this week. You're praying for revival. I want to give you some prayer pointers. Each letter stands for a word. and There's a scripture reference with it. R stands for return. Return. Acts 3.19. You can look these verses up later. Return. Acts 3.19. In other words, you're praying that God's people would return in repentance and personal holiness. Would return. Acts 3.19. E stands for eyes. E-Y-E-S, eyes, Ephesians 3.18, eyes. You're praying that the eyes of God's people, the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened to the truth of God's word, to God's calling in their lives, to be opened and ready and receptive when they come to hear the word preached, eyes. V stands for vision, vision, Habakkuk 3.2, vision. You're praying for God's people to envision what God wants to do in revival in our church, in our community, in our county. If true revival were to come, vision Habakkuk 3.2. That first I, uh, that I stands for uh, involvement, involvement, Matthew 9.37 and 38. Involvement, you're praying that God's people will be obedient and pray for these harvest fields that are white in the harvest involvement. Uh, that's uh, Matthew 9:37-38. V the second V stands for victory. John 17:15. Pray for believers to be protected from the evil one and temptation have victory in their lives. John 17:15. This is put out by our Baptist State Convention what I'm sharing here with you this revival acrostic. A Acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Second Chronicles 714. Pray that believers would acknowledge, admit our desperate situation and need for revival. And finally, that L stands for the lost. The lost. 
1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. In other words, you're praying for a lost family member or friend by name. And even further than that, you might want to pray that as you invite that lost family member or friend to the service with you, that they'll come and God the Holy Spirit will do a work in their life. Let me give you those words again. Return, eyes, vision, involvement, victory, acknowledgement, and the lost. Revival. Some prayer pointers for you to take. Now let me ask you in closing, we're done. And I appreciate your patience. Is God calling you to fast? It's between you and God. Is God calling you to fast? You're praying, but He's calling you to fast and pray this week. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor and adore you. You alone are worthy of all glory and adoration. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit to be clearly leading in the lives of these believers in my life. That we all would be obedient to what you're leading us to do in regards to praying and fasting for revival. Give victory, give strength, give grace. Perhaps some will be fasting for the very first time. I pray for you to work in their lives in an awesome way. In the Savior's name I pray. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is a little chorus. We're going to sing 256. The altar is open if you want to come and you want to kneel and talk to the Lord about what he'd have you to do. We're going to stand and sing this in closing today. And I want to encourage you to be obedient to God's leading your life this week. I'm praying for revival, true revival at Red Hill Baptist Church. Will you join me in praying for that? And if God leads you, will you fast and pray? Let's turn to 256. Let's stand and sing. Father, I adore you. 256. Deacons, I have about three minutes of your time after the service. I appreciate it.